I want to plunge into today's teaching. This, we'll get to that bag. This, this is a critical teaching. Oh God, give us ears to hear and minds to comprehend what the Bible is saying. Let's pray together. Holy Father, what wondrous love is this? Oh my, oh my soul, oh my soul. We have been swept up to your throne room in your heavenly temple today over and over and over again. Don't let us down now. Let Holy Scripture have its way in our midst. And let today's teaching be crystal clear for Christ's glory and honor. We pray in His name. Amen. I have here in this paper bag... Two vials of blood. This is real blood. This is real blood. It is goat's blood. And I'm very grateful to my friend, Kathy Cudell, who is in the agriculture department here at Andrews University for procuring this blood from a goat. The goat is still alive. If she had taken all the blood, the goat would be dead. Just two little vials, 10 cc's each. This is sort of like a biohazard, so you, it, it, you know, it, it probably isn't, but you just have to do this sometimes. I want to take some of this blood, and I want to ask you, is it possible that this blood, this is goat blood, is it possible for this blood to cleanse. I mean, my reaction is, when you have this, you get goat's blood on you. To me, now to be honest, to me, that doesn't look like it cleans. That looks like it stains. Which is why I've got to tell you, I am amazed with the dramatic story in Leviticus 16 that says, no, 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 no. The blood cleans, not stains. And I want to go into the heart of that drama with you right now. So while I'm cleaning up, would you open your Bible, please, to the third book of the Bible, the book of Leviticus. We don't go to Leviticus Hardly ever, ever, ever. The third book of the Bible, Leviticus. We're going to plunge into the middle of the drama. I am telling you what, nobody's sleeping through this one. Not if you're in the camp of Israel. This is the day of purgation. Leviticus chapter 16. If you didn't bring your own Bible, you have to track this drama. Grab the pew Bible right in front of you. I'll give you the page number in just a moment. Try to do this carefully. All right. Leviticus chapter 16, page 80 in the Pew Bible. Yom HaKippurim. That's what it is in the Hebrew. We know it today as the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur as it is popularly known. Plunge right into the heart of that day. Leviticus 16, page 80 in the Pew Bible. I'll be in the New International Version, whatever translation you have. I'm glad you have one. Let's pick it up in verse 15. He, this is a high priest named Aaron. All right. He then 
shall slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood. You just saw real live goat's blood, all right? And shall take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. I doubt personally whether Aaron the high priest slept a wink the night before. I mean, you think about it. He is now being asked to God what has been forbidden under the penalty of death to be done 364 days of the year, but suddenly everything has changed. Now, you go in. I remind you, this is Father Aaron, who just days ago buried two boys who in their inebriated DUI drunkenness stumbled carelessly into the most holy space of that little earthly tent and incinerated just like that. He's buried them. In fact, look at the first two verses of chapter 16. Obviously, this is on his mind. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. Verse 2, And the Lord said to Moses, You tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. Got it? Aaron would not have slept a wink the night before. How could you sleep? Knowing that every man and woman and child in the nation will at that very moment be on their faces in the sand praying their hearts out to Almighty God. And while they're praying, you all alone in that tent will move to this ornate thick veil and with hands that were surely trembling violently, you will grab that veil, pulling it aside to what human eyes were never to see and human hands were never to touch. You would pull the veil aside and in that perfect cube, a single piece of golden furniture. Let me just let your imagination put some color to it by putting on the screen an artist's portrayal of that ark. That's all that's in that perfect cube called the Most Holy Place. Solid gold cherubim. Those are two angels representing the angels that stand beside the throne of the eternal God. Their wings touch. They are carved out of a single, beaten out of a single sheet of gold. And over that solid gold block called the mercy seat, there is a physical presence so blinding and so fiery in its glory that a human being cannot gaze upon it and live. It is the presence of God Himself. You don't think Aaron is sleeping the night before, do you? How could you sleep? Let's read it again. Verse 15. He, Aaron, shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it, in this way, verse 16, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been through the previous year. He is to do the same in the tent of meeting. That would be the other compartment called the holy place 
which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Verse 17, No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, for his household, and the whole community of Israel. Now, verse 30, add verse 30, Because on this day... Atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. Did you catch that? The blood of a goat mysteriously, metaphysically, brings about, achieves a cleansing of the entire community. What's up with that? What is up? There are two realities to this day of atonement. The most somber, the most most sacred of celebrations. Two realities that contrary to our first impression are essential for us to understand in the third millennium. Two realities. I wish you'd jot them down right now. Grab the study guide, please. It's in your worship bulletin. If you didn't get a study guide, hold your hand up. We've got our friendly ushers ready to go. They have today two pieces for you. They have piece number one, the study guide that you will need. They have a card. You will need the card. Ask for the card and the piece. They're going to give them both to you. You came in, three of you, with one bulletin. Then you need your own study guide. No sense in sharing. You get to have your own. Grab a study guide, and I'll make sure. We'll make sure that all the way up to the balcony and the overflow as well, that the study guides are for all those who need one. And by the way, those of you who are watching on television right now, we're delighted to have you. You can have the same study guide. Let me put our website on the screen for you. Go to that website. You see it right there, www.pmchurch.tv. You're looking for a brand new series called The Temple. This is only part three. If you've missed the first two parts, that's okay. The podcasts are there. You can get it all right at that site. But you're looking for part three, which is called today The Cleansing. You're looking for The Cleansing. And when it says study guide there... Click on the study guide. You'll have the identical study guide we have. Let's go. Let's jot them down. Two realities critical for, the, for us living in the third millennium. Reality number one, the Day of Atonement symbolized the final judicial cleansing. Judicial cleansing of God's sanctuary. Right in the word sanctuary. Something's going on judicially. And so reality number one, the Day of Atonement symbolized the final judicial cleansing of God's sanctuary. And then jot it down. Reality number two, the Day of Atonement symbolized the final moral cleansing of God's people. Cleansing of God's sanctuary, judicially. Cleansing of God's people, morally. Let me explain. If we had taken the time today to read the chapters 3 and 4 of Leviticus, we would have been reminded that when the children of Israel sinned, they brought little animals. Do you remember that? They brought little animals to the sanctuary where... Those animals were sacrificed. You knew that, didn't you? We've all known that. We've grown up with those stories. Something interesting about those little animals that are brought. They'll take one, the the, uh, worshiper will take one hand, place that hand, that single hand on the head of the animal, not confessing his sins or her sins. The confession was already done back at the point of infraction. You've already talked to God. You've already confessed your sins. But there's there's something else taking place right here. The hand goes on that, that animal. The sacrificial animal is slain. And then on special occasions, specified occasions, the blood of that slain animal was daubed onto the horns of the altar of sacrifice and then taken into the most holy into the holy place, rather, before the curtain to the most holy place and the ark of incense. And it was sprinkled right here, just sprinkled on the on the sandy floor of the desert. Every time the 
priest came in to sprinkle, he would sprinkle it right there in front of the altar of incense. Now, the sprinkling of the blood of the sacrifice inside the tabernacle powerfully symbolized, get this, the transference of the sinner's sin to God and His temple and His sanctuary. So, I need you to read, and it's there in your study guide, my friend Roy Gain, who teaches Old Testament here at the Theological Seminary. If you want to buy a book that will unlock for you the deep symbolism, the rich mystery of the, of the, of the sanctuary system, get his book. It's in both bookstores here in town. The title of the book is Altar Call. You can go on Amazon.com and you can get Altar Call by Roy Gain. All right? I'll put a, a few lines from Roy on the screen here describing what's taking place here with those sacrifices. Roy writing, By transferring a sacrificial animal to God, an Israelite transferred sin or ritual impurity from him, from herself, to God at his sanctuary. The person was freed from the problem because God took it. It was now in God's ballpark. That is his sanctuary. When an Israelite laid one hand on the head of an animal in a sin offering, this gesture played an important role in the transfer of evil to the sanctuary. Through the high drama of the Day of Atonement, and you need to jot this down, through the high drama of the Day of Atonement, God taught His people that the evil of human rebellion and sin would not forever stain this universe, but that a day of reckoning was coming, a day of judgment. It is clear it was a day of judgment. Write in that word judgment. A day of purgation. When the judicial records of sin would be cleansed from God's sanctuary and purged from His universe. And so, jot this down. The divine purging is described in Leviticus 16 as cleansing, cleansing the sanctuary. Alright? Cleansing the sanctuary. So, oh, come on. Dwight, this is, this, is, this is just Old Testament stuff. I am a New Testament Christian. I'm beyond all of this. Oh, are you really? Well, you sure, certainly aren't beyond the New Testament because the New Testament confirms and affirms that cleansing. In fact, let's turn to that next text, Hebrews chapter 9. Take a look at this. Amazing. In the, and by the way, you know, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament is, is a twin almost to the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament. These two books are twin books dealing with the same theme. Go to, we'll go to the New Testament. In that wilderness tabernacle, the cleansing on the Day of Atonement, you know how the cleansing happened? When the blood of the goat was brought to where the other sprinklings had been made all year long, the symbolic cleansing took place when the high priest spilled goat's blood on top of the other stains. Cleansing the sanctuary. Is that just an Old Testament motif? Where are you? Hebrews chapter 9. Let's take a look at that. Hebrews chapter 9. Let's pick it up here in verse 22. In fact, the writer of Hebrews Pointing out here, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be what? Be cleansed. Nearly everything be cleansed with blood. By the, <clears throat> excuse me, by the way, that Greek word for cleansed here is the very same word in the Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint in the Day of Atonement. Identical word. Identical word. Now, the law is clear that everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Verse 23. So, it was necessary then. For the copies of the heavenly things, that would be the earthly sanctuary, to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves are going to be purified and cleansed. And by the way, the word purified is identical with cleansed. For some reason, NIV chooses to render it separately. 
So it is that the heavenly things themselves will be cleansed with better sacrifices than these. For, verse 24, Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Verse 25, nor did He enter heaven to offer Himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that's not His own. Verse 26, then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. No, 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 no. But now He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Ladies and gentlemen, clearly, this is Day of Atonement language. There's only one day in the, in the liturgical year when a sacrifice cleansed the sanctuary. What's the, what's the writer of Hebrews trying to tell us? Jot it down, will you? If God's sandbox illustration of the plan of salvation... If the earthly sanctuary had to be cleansed and it represented the great reality in heaven, then should we not conclude, the writer of Hebrews is asking, that the heavenly sanctuary would also be cleansed. Write it in. That the heavenly sanctuary would also be cleansed, but with the greatest sacrifice of all. Not not with the blood of goats, but with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Wow! Don't you tell me that's an Old Testament teaching. That's Old and New Testament. The heavenly sanctuary must be cleansed. So here's the question. When? When should the sanctuary be cleansed? I'll tell you what. The two apocalyptic books, Daniel and Revelation, leave us not guessing another moment. Just three passages. Let me just fly these by you. You notice when. Let's go to the uh, back to the Old Testament. Do I can just read it off the screen? Of course you can read it off the screen, but I would love for you to see this in your own Bible. And by the way, we've been to this Daniel 7 every time we've been in this series. So... You're familiar with this. Let's go back to Daniel 7. Go back. It's it's page 602 in your pew Bible. Let's read those same two verses again. Daniel 7, verse 9, and then verse 10. Daniel's in vision. Daniel 7, verse 9. As I looked, thrones were set in place. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. Something is being convened right now. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. Verse 10. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. You remember from our study last week, the three obviously's? Obviously, number one, this is a court scene. Come on, we know it's a court. It says it's a court scene. Obviously, number two, the court is convened in God's temple because the throne is there. His throne is always in His palace or temple. And finally, obviously, number three, the court is convened before the end of the world. Daniel 7 is clear. After the court, boom, the world ends and God's kingdom is set up. So, what do we know? We know from Daniel 7 that the day of reckoning, this day of judgment, This judicial review of the records that is so powerfully foreshadowed by the Day of Atonement will indeed transpire in the heavenly sanctuary, in the very throne room of God, just before the end of time. And get this. Daniel 7 has a twin chapter. Daniel 8. The two chapters go together. They have the same theme. And notice how Daniel 8 describes this very same moment. Just turn the page. Daniel 8. You're already there. Daniel 8. Turn the page to Daniel 8, verse 14. And he said to me, For 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. There, is it. there it is, ladies and gentlemen, the cleansing of the sanctuary. 
the precise metaphor and language of the Day of Atonement itself straight in, placed straight into the heart of the final judgment. It comes at the same point in the passage of time prophesied in both Daniel 7 and Daniel 8. Because of their, so, so here's what's up, guys. Because of their close parallel, what Daniel 7 describes as a courtroom convened with records, Daniel 8 portrays as the cleansing of the sanctuary. Two metaphors to describe the same event, the divine judgment in the heavenly temple just before the end of the world. And wouldn't you know it, Revelation comes along, also an apocalyptic book, and says, exactly true. One more passage we'll look up. Revelation 11. Last book of your Bible, Revelation chapter 11. Isn't this amazing? Both apocalyptic books pinpointing when this day of the atonement judgment would take place in human history. Can't miss it here. Revelation 11. Let's pick it up in verse 18. Revelation 11, 18. This is just before the return of Christ. Now notice this. The nations were angry and your wrath, O God, has come. Now watch this. The time has come for judging the dead. Judging the dead. And for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints, and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Now hold on, here comes verse 19. The moment the judgment of the dead is discussed, notice the very next scene, verse 19. Then I saw through a crack in the door, John says, through a crack in the door, God's temple in heaven was opened. And within His temple was seen the ark of His covenant. And there came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder and earthquake and a great hailstorm. Isn't that amazing, ladies and gentlemen? When the, when, the, when the crack in the door is opened into the temple, having just described, we are now entering the time of judging the dead, what is it that, what is it that the elderly John is granted to see? The ark. The ark of the covenant. Let me put that picture back up. On the screen. Question. What one day of the year was this piece of furniture so prominently central that it foreshadowed an end time judgment? What one day of the year was the Ark of the Covenant featured? Answer. Day. The Day of Atonement. John has shown in vision the final judgment of the Day of Atonement transpiring in heaven before the end of time. So, what does that mean? Let's put it all together. Jot this down, please. What can we conclude from these three apocalyptic predictions? Write it down. What Daniel 7... And by the way, just use, use abbreviations here. What Daniel 7 describes as an end-time celestial court convened with records. What Daniel 8 portrays as the end-time cleansing of the heavenly sanctuary. What Revelation 11 depicts as the end time most holy place judgment of the dead are all bound together by the single dramatic cleansing metaphor of the day of atonement. Write that down. All of it bound. One metaphor. The day of atonement. And please note, by the way, all three prophecies all lead immediately to the end of the world. So what's the point? Here's the point. For that reason... In Revelation 14, just before Jesus returns, he's pictured returning in verse 14, the message to go to the world just before Christ returns. Jot it down, Revelation 14, 7, the hour of his judgment has come. The hour of his judgment has come. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in 
the judgment right now. That's the point. While you and I are sitting here talking to each other, it's going on in heaven. There is a cleansing of the heavenly sanctuary. A judicial cleansing of the heavenly records. While we're sitting right here. And it's not a great leap of logic to then conclude at some point the heavenly courtroom will finish with the records of the dead and will move because there's no choice. You just logically have to move. Okay, now, it's everybody who's alive. You say, oh, listen, Dwight, I will know. I, there will be a sign and I will know when that day comes. You're right. You think you will? Did the, did the antediluvians know? Was there some kind of a sign? And they knew it's really important now to make a decision. Did, was there some sign? Did Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah know? Was there some sign given? Not a thing. They kept marrying. They kept, they kept partying. They kept living. And it came. The point? Guess what? It's cleansing time. Judicial cleansing of the records up there. But you know what? There's nothing I can do about that. There is nothing I can do about that up there. Moral cleansing of the hearts down here. And that's where you and I are called to sit up. It's time to get serious. Here's the point. It is time to get serious about our moral cleansing. That's the point. You can't laugh it off. You can't say, well, manana. <laughs> manana? Who gets manana around here? Nobody does. It's time. It's cleansing time. Oh, but come on, Dwight. I mean, I thought, look, look, look. I thought that when I confessed my sins to God, I was, com- I was immediately cleansed, just like that. You know what, my friend? You were and I am. That great gold standard of Bible, pro- uh, Bible promises. Let's put it on the screen here. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. In fact, let's do this one out loud together. You know it so well. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. Write that down. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm telling you what, that is tried and true. This divine promise, the moment I confess my sins to God, He forgives me and immediately cleanses me from the guilty state of my moral meltdown. Boom! Cleansed. But, I need to remind you, That the God who forgives us all along the way is the same God who gives us all along the way the freedom to reverse ourselves at any time and take all those sins back. Once upon a time, that's the way Jesus told the story. You remember the story? Once upon a time, there was a servant who owed the king an astronomically humongous debt. According to calculations, he owed 200,000 years of back wages. When the king did the auditing of the books, going through the records, when the king did it, he found out this debt, he summoned the servant, he said, I'm sorry, but it's over for you. It's curtains. Adios. To jail you go. And the servant fell on his face. You remember the story? And wept before the king. I beg of you, just give me some time. I'll get this. I'll, I'll come up with 200,000 years of wages if you just give me time. It was ridiculous, the proposition. But the king took pity on the, on the weeping servant. 
And you know what the king did? Get this, guys. Fully and freely forgave the entire astronomically humongous debt. Just like that. It's out of the records. It's not even on the records. It's gone. It's over. When that servant, ecstatic, goes out of that palace riding on cloud number nine, he is thrilled until he bumps into a fellow servant. Do you remember the story? And he finds, this is the guy that owes me a hundred bucks. He grabs the guy around the throat. He says, hey, listen, pay up. You owe me a hundred bucks. The guy says, please, just give me some time. A hundred bucks. I can come up with a hundred bucks, please. I'm not giving you any time. You're in jail. And he threw him in jail. When the word comes back, now hold on. When the word comes back to the king, the king resummons the forgiven servant. And the punchline of Jesus' story is so astounding because people don't think God is this way. But the king, in resummoning the servant, who has refused to live out the grace that he had received from the king, the king reinstates the servant's freely, fully forgiven debt, and it is replaced. It is rewritten on the record. And the king throws him in jail and throws away the king. Forever and ever. Amen. And Jesus says, that's how it will be with your heavenly Father. So nobody's making this up about at any time along the way, if you want to have it back, you want that debt that you and I have wept to God, take it away from me. If you want to have it back, you're free to have it all back. Hence the review at the end of time. Are you sure you want this? In fact, would you jot it down, please? This is the point of Jesus' parable. The debt that has been fully and freely removed can be fully and freely reinstated. That's the point. It can be removed, of course, but it can be reinstated if we who have been cleansed by God quit living the life of the cleansed for God. I want to repeat that. The debt that has been fully and freely removed can be fully and freely reinstated if we who have been cleansed by God quit living the life of the cleansed for God. Some people mistakenly conclude that what the Christian, what the Christian life is all about is only the beginning. I've got to get saved at the beginning and then, whoo, I got it. Oh no, my friends. The Day of Atonement reminds us that the end of the journey is just as critical as the beginning of the journey. Now you have, look at it's Jesus from stem to stern. Don't, don't, you be, don't you be alarmed at all. My God, this is Philippians 1, 6, and I love this. My God, who has begun a good work in you, will bring it to completion by the end of time. You stay with God. You stay with God. You have nothing. No worries. You stay with Him. Oh, brother, do I... Please, this takes all the assurance away. All the security that I have in Christ. Now if I have to worry how the journey is going to end, man, you've taken it all away. Are you kidding? Are you serious? You can't be. I married Karen 35 years ago. Hallelujah. And I am not worried. Do you think I sit around worried about how the story is going to end? Are you kidding? Because we're friends for life. I am a happily married man. Do you know why I know I'm a happily married man? Because every day when I leave the house, Karen stands me up against the door and she says, repeat after me, I am a happily married man. I repeat it. I am happily married. I know I'm happily married. When you're in love... When you're in love, when you're growing a deepening relationship with someone, you never have to worry about how the story's going to end because you already know how it's going to end. It's going to end the same way you began. You began in love. 
It'll end in love. You got nothing, nothing to worry about. No assurance has been taken away from you. There's no bad news here. Give me a break. Do you think, listen, think, do you think God's friends are threatened with the Bible teaching that He will convene a judicial review at the end of time for the purpose, as we carefully noted last week, of rejecting Satan's dark charges against his friends. And God says, okay, let's look at the records. I'm proving to you they are really my friends. Do you think God's friends are upset about a judicial review that vindicates them? Please. Do you think God's friends would find it threatening to know that while He is judicially cleansing His sanctuary above, He simultaneously wants to be morally cleansing this heart below? You think that bothers, that bothers God's friends? Shouldn't. Is moral cleansing a threat? Is moral cleansing a threat? Why would that bother you? Unless, ooh, unless, of course, you didn't want to be morally cleansed in every area of your life. Do you suppose that's it? Could that be why some have so viciously ranted and raved against the Bible teaching of the cleansing of the sanctuary? Because embracing it would compel them to surrender something that they're hanging on for dear life. And so rather than attack what they're hanging on to, they attack the teaching. Such vitriol. Can't we have, can't we have a civil conversation here? Can't we look at the evidence? Why all this venom? unless the teaching touches where it hurts. And rather than dealing with where it hurts, you destroy the teaching instead. Please. When it turns out that this teaching neither weakens our assurance and security in Christ, nor threatens our friendship with God, but in fact does the very opposite and strengthens our bond with the judge of the universe. Why would, you be, why would you be so upset with a teaching? Good news. You're bound to that judge forever and ever. For the life of me, I don't understand this. You see, the secret of the investigative judgment... Here's the secret. It's to remember how God promises it will end for His friends. So let's end with this. All right. You're in Revelation. Aren't we in Revelation? Go to Revelation 3. Isn't this beautiful? Can you believe this text is in the Bible? Revelation chapter 3 and verse 5 of Revelation 3 is filled with the, with the nomenclature of a courtroom, of a judgment scene. I love this. Look at this. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus is speaking. You have a red letter Bible? This should be bright red. Jesus speaking, he who overcomes, she who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name, her name, from the book of life, but will acknowledge him, will acknowledge her name before my father and his angels. Hold on, hold on. There he is, the Ancient of Days, convening the judgment. The father's on the throne, the celestial observers, the jury is all there. And what does Jesus say? The hero of heaven, what does he say? Not to worry. I will acknowledge you. You live my overcoming life. You let me overcome through you. I will acknowledge you to the entire universe. You're going to wear white. It's the color of victory. Your name will never be expunged from the books brought 
to the courtroom, the book of life. You're securing me. I'm never. See, that's why the friends of Jesus, this, this teaching affirms, affirms their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So where do you get these white robes? Huh? We started with blood, let's end with blood. Where do you get these white robes? How do you get robes that are white? Well, since you're there, just turn the page to Revelation 7. Last line. How do I get, how do I get these robes that are white? Here it is, ladies and gentlemen. Verse 13, Revelation 7, verse 13. Then one of the elders asked me, Hey, John, <clears throat> these in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? And I answered, verse 14, Sir, you know. And he said, Ah, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. Now watch this, ladies and gentlemen. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. It always comes back to the blood. Not the blood of a goat. No, 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 no. The blood of a lamb. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Blood. That's why I'm serious. It's cleansing time right now. Right now. It's going on right now. It's cleansing time. Is there something in your life that needs to get cleansed right out of your heart? This is the time. Well, I'll do it later, Dwight. I'll do it, you know, when a convenient time comes. There is no convenient time. It's right now. Is there something that needs to get cleansed right out of your life? It's now. Not tomorrow. Not next year. It's right now. It's cleansing time. Right now. I don't know how long this judgment is going to last in heaven. I just know that today, right now, would be a very good time to turn to Jesus for His cleansing. That's what I know. And that's why today, in your bulletin was this card. You were handed it just a moment ago. Pull the card out now, will you please? I'd like to take a closing moment and think about what this card represents for you and for me. Pull the card out. You didn't get a card? You can get one to you if you hold your hand up. I want to draw your attention to this card. This will be used at, on this campus this entire year. We get to use it today. <coughs> Excuse me. There are a list of responses here, but I only want to draw your attention to three of them, with your permission. Do you see the one? It's second one down. I would like to commit my life to Jesus for the first time. There are some of you here today who have never given your life to Jesus. You know, you're waiting for a very special kind of day. My friend, there is no special kind of day. The only special day is the day called today. Give your life to Jesus. You say, Dwight, what does that mean? Just put, put your case. Say, Jesus, you take my case to, the, you take my case to, that, uh, to that judgment. You take me to the courtroom. I place my life in your hands. I'll, do, I'll follow you, Jesus. I don't even know what that means. I'll follow you. I'll give you my life. I'll put my case in your nail-scarred hands. You put a check mark right there. We'll get some literature to you. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It's not rocket science. Hallelujah. It's the simplest friendship you can grow on this planet. And God says you can have it. Why would you want to go another day and say, well, I'm not really secure with the judgment up there, but I'll wait. Don't you wait. Just put a check mark right now, please. You're not making any commitment to me. You understand that. You're making a commitment to Jesus. Put a check mark there. I want to commit 
my life to Jesus for the first time. How about that next one? It's about uh, four down. To receive, I would like to receive Bible studies to prepare for baptism. You've never been baptized. For whatever reason, you just, it just never came. I want to tell you something. Nobody's going to be baptized next Sabbath. But if you would like to begin to think. Say, do I have to be a college student to do this? You kid. This is for all of us. If you have not been baptized and you would like to begin to prepare your life to follow Jesus in radical discipleship. Would you put a check mark right there? I just, want to, I just want to be baptized someday. Don't baptize me tomorrow. I just want to be baptized someday. Just put a check mark there. And there's that blank. Here's what you can put on the blank. Pray for me. I want to tell you that every one of these cards will be prayed over. And if there ever were a time in the human journey when we needed people praying for us, this would be it. You don't have to put down what it is that you need to have somebody pray over. Just say, pray for me. I've got my name here. I've got my phone number. Just pray for me. And you'll be prayed over. You and God, that cleansing, what is this thing that, that God wants to cleanse out of your life? What is it He wants to cleanse out of my life? You know, I know. Ask Him. And have somebody praying for you. I want to take a moment right now for you to fill that out. Would you? Would you just put a check mark there? Your email address would be very helpful. Telephone number. I want the singers, please, to come up. And I, I want them to sing for us this beautiful old gospel hymn. Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And while they're singing, that stanza. Would you just fill it in? And then in just a moment, we'll, we'll just turn it, hand them into the center aisle. And we'll receive those back. Some of you have been thinking about this decision for a very long time. And the Spirit of Jesus is speaking to your heart right now. And He's saying, hey, this is the day. Let's do it today. If He's speaking to your heart, something's stirring up inside, would you put a check mark on that? Just put a check mark down. It'll never be simpler than today. Nobody's being asked to come to the front. You do this all anonymously. But you'll be prayed over going to sing one more stanza. If you haven't filled it out yet, fill it out in this last stanza.
your cards, please, toward the center aisle, just at the, the end of that uh, pew. Keep them there. Our ushers are coming through right now as we stand together and sing just that one stanza of this beloved gospel hymn. Turn your card in, please, toward the center aisle. The ushers are coming. And while they're doing that, let's stand now. Let's stand together and sing that old favorite. Lamb of God, we have sung to you that we come. We come just as we are. There's no way we can cleanse ourselves. The stain is too deep. We have tried too long. Only your blood, only the sacrifice of Calvary can make the victorious difference for us. And so we come. Know our hearts. Know that we will trust you in this cleansing time. In this judgment hour, we will trust you by your grace every step of the way till, Lord Jesus, you come. And now to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve His God and Father. To Him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen.